Bam. We're live. Sometimes I forget to put myself up there before we go live. Two minutes early today. How come? Because I was two minutes late yesterday. And there has to be balance in the universe. If you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. Right now, there's a CrossFit press conference going on. I requested to get into that press conference, and I was denied. I was told that the press conference is for media only. I responded with, I am the largest media coverage CrossFit Inc. and CrossFit Games has by several metrics, including fastest growing, I suspect, if it wasn't for that damn Andrew Hiller. So I didn't get into the press conference, but I can't wait to hear about it. It's almost better that I didn't get into it because then now I can talk about it like hearsay. Ooh, I got some fun whoopee stuff for you guys in CrossFit stuff. People are sharing with me tonight. Ooh, tonight's going to be fun. We're going to move Alex Stein to uh, 6 p.m. No, to Sunday night and tonight at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I think it's 7 p.m. I've checked the schedule. I'll be going live with Andrew Hiller. It's going to be fucking fun i want to say it's gonna be fireworks but i don't know if it's gonna be fireworks but it's gonna be fun you guys will like it i will be in rare form i'll be amped um i like i i like the fact that i i requested to go to the crossfit uh press conference today and their response was it's only for the media i mean that's a jab at me right that's like that's it's not quite it's good though i, I appreciate it i wanted to write back nice one andrew because it is pretty funny it's like it's like if I were to ask a girl out and she were to look at me and be like, I only go with straight guys. Oh, gotcha. Uh, we have Joel Salatin on this morning. Pretty excited. I did not know a lot about him. Uh, and now I have know a shit ton about him. Uh, what a small world this is. He spoke at um, one of the DDCs. That's used to be Cross. Well, he spoke at CrossFit Health when CrossFit Health was CrossFit Health. And oh, buddy. Dick butter shots fired. You don't even know it's going to be not. Thank you, Jeff. It is going to be a wild one. Uh, this evening, it is going to be fun. It is. I'm going to come out. I'm going to come out shot out of a cannon. We'll be talking about the whoopee. We'll be talking about, uh, Justin Berg. There's, there's no point in talking about Dave Castro anymore. All let's just, let's just look at the facts. Everything bad that's happening at CrossFit games right now is, because of the leadership, Justin Berg. It's all, it's, it, and whether it's true or not, it doesn't matter. He's the leader over there. That's the guy. Every step of the way has been a colossal shit show. They got their second biggest sponsor tiptoeing out of the room. I have verification on why they are tiptoeing out of the room. And, uh, ooh, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's exactly what I speculated. Okay, back to Joel Salatin. Back to Joel Salatin. Uh, this guy... Uh, not only has he been on a gazillion podcasts, including Joe Rogan, um, but he is also, oh, you know what? I should give him my phone number in case he's having trouble getting in. Let me see. Um, excuse me. Sorry. While well, I do a little house cleaning here. Uh, Joel. Here's my number in case you 
of any issue. My favorite part is I can't wait to see, find out who was at the press conference because they're going to claim that every, everyone that they're claiming who went to the press conference is, um, is uh, straight and I was banned because I was gay. And I just can't wait to look around the room and be like, uh, no, those guys are gay too. And before someone writes something stupid in the fucking comments, that's a simile. That's not like that. That's a simile based on the joke I cracked earlier. I know, I know, I know YouTube warrior, t- t- keyboard warriors don't get that stuff. What? Did they ban gay people from the press? I had no idea. No, they, they don't ban gay people from the press conference. At least not that I know of. Austin, last night I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep much at all. Last night I was like hovering over my body all night. It was weird. I try never to sleep. I just do uh, energy body every night. That's where you, I just uh, put all my attention on my body. And then usually I am. Um, and then usually I fall asleep pretty quickly, even though I'm trying not to. I sleep on my back with no pillow when I fall asleep. And then when I wake up, I don't know when that is. An hour later, two hours later, I turn onto my side and I put a, and I use a really thin pillow at that point. It's like right next to me. And then I put a really thick, long, like body pillow between my knees, put my arm around it like that. What's up with all the attention my forearms are beginning? They're just the same forearms I've always had. Good morning, Eric. Whoopi says you should sleep though. I know, I know. And, and you probably should sleep. I do. Um, I, I, in the middle of the day, almost every day, I, I go vertical also. Vertical? Sorry, horizontal. Oh, he, Joel, Joel, um, uh, I'm trying to get on, but it's asking for camera and mic settings, and I have no idea how to proceed. Wow. Hmm. Mm-mm-mm. Okay. Oh. Um. Oh, damn. And you know what? He warned us. I think he warned us. He said, he said, uh, can we do Zoom? I always have problems with other platforms. I was like, fuck no. This will be fine. Shoot. Oh, shoot. Um, can you call me and I will walk you through it? Let's see. Uh oh. Don't give away your phone number on the air. That's bad. I don't know if that would be bad. Okay, here we go. Uh, send him an email back. Um, I wonder what it's gonna say what, what we're gonna do here. This is I'm starting to get a little anxious. I'm not sweating yet. That's good. Thick and long. I thought Fikowski was at mayhem. I know, me too, but I guess he's not. He's in the back of mayhem. It's not exactly accurate to say he's at mayhem. He's in the back. The mustache is getting long enough that when I put wax in it, it's starting to like be able to brush it to the sides. Uh, we were supposed to have Alex Stein uh, a couple days ago. Um, he had a tummy ache. Then we rescheduled him to today. And now I'm going to try to reschedule Alex to um, um, Sunday night. Isn't it funny that the uh, w- while I w- while I wait for Joel to respond, isn't it funny that the the morning chocolate posted that article saying that there was going to be a press conference today? I think that 
that's the kind of inside information you get. You get to be the guy that leaks the information about the fake press conference because you're the guy who printed the fake story about E. coli and smeared Dave. You get how that works? So I'm, I'm speculating, of course, but let's say CrossFit Inc. reached out to a morning chalk up and was like, hey, we fired Dave and we want to smear Dave now. We post this article and making some shit up about Dave being a bad guy. They then print that article and then to scratch their back in return, they get to post a notification about a fake uh, press conference. And why is it fake? Well, because I was told that I couldn't come. And Andrew, I'm pretty sure Andrew Hiller's not there. And I'm pretty sure we're the, we're the biggest guys in the space. When it comes to press, just a, we're just a little teeny drop compared to the, compared to Matt Fraser, but he's not press, right? Just a teeny little drop, teeny drop. Alyssa Carr, dang, guess I'll have to be the guest. You guys can watch me do dishes and homeschool my kids. Oh no, I can't believe we're going to drop the ball on this. I did so much fucking research. For those of you guys who don't know, Joel Salatin is, he's a, he's a minister of the land. He's a minister of the land, and he takes that shit seriously. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm hearing that the press conference was uh, uh, no bueno, that it was tough to get through, and that the games will be in Madison in 2023. Mm, 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 mm. All right, all right. Uh, he's a minister of the land, Joel Salatin. What does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. I wanted to read this when he was on there. I thought it was... He, uh, let me see if I can get this exact quote. He's a Christian libertarian environmentalist. Screw this up, Sevy. This is this is the this is the line I saw um, in one of his videos, or it was on his website. If we devote ourselves, and and I finished the show last night with this, as you guys recall, if we just if we devote ourselves to sacredness in our vocation, and you could translate that to if we are present in our day to day job, if we treat our job like we're servicing God, that's how I take that. If we devote ourselves to sacredness in our vocations. The world will rise to meet us. And for me, the only thing that the touch point for that is, is when I set my expectations high for my kids, they reach them. They reach them. I expect them to be kind to people. I expect them to be aware of their surroundings. And, that, and, and when you do that, when you live your life like that, when you devote yourself to the sacredness in your vocation, and the world rises to meet you, that becomes your personal ministry. And what I mean by that is, is everywhere you go is your church. You treat everywhere like it's church. I'm going to say all this again when he comes on. I'm just rehearsing now. Thank you, guys. Have you met Joel in person before? And, uh, I think I did meet him uh, in uh, Santa Cruz once, but, but I don't know. But I know my mom speaks it so highly of him. She saw him speak there when, uh, at that conference and i was there too and speaks so highly of him oh man this is not good he is not responding to the email 
Mm-mm-mm. Can I FaceTime with Joel? Uh, can I FaceTime with Joel Salatin and see if I can get him on? Uh, Gandhi said this thing somewhere, somehow, someday. You cannot separate religion and state because your life is your religion. Meaning that everywhere you walk around, that that's your presentation of how you what, what you think of of your existence. You guys get that? Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Yeah. Okay. My my brains here got me on. <laughs> it was you a hit, team I, effort. I, I don't know what you did. Well, I, I mean, just I, unchecked I, boxes I, and then rechecked them. Oh man, drives me but nuts. Streamyard is so finicky for us for some reason. And Joe warned me, and the arrogant, pompous little man that I am, I was like, "No, no, it'll be fine." Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> now you know. Okay. Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, Wendy. We're all Thank good. you, Wendy. All right. He's a minister of the land, as I was just sharing with the live viewers. Uh, if we devote ourselves to sacredness in our vocations, the world will rise to meet us. And then he goes on to say that your life is basically your personal ministry. That's how I took that. And I was just breaking it down for the people, Joel, that if we devote ourselves to sacredness in our vocations, meaning a a, a new agey way maybe to say that was, is is everywhere we went, we were present. If everywhere we went, we treated the world as as if we were uh, interacting with God for, Mm -hmm. for, for, for maybe those Christians. The world would rise to meet us. The only thing I can think of there is, is that I set expectations for my kids and they yep. live up to them. And when I set them low, they don't live up to them. But when I expect <laughs> them to say thank you and to be pleasant human beings, uh-huh. they live up to that. And then that is your personal ministry. And that's where Gandhi says um, uh, you cannot separate church and state because your life is your walking religion. Yeah, that's that, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, if it, it, another way that, that some people say this is is intentionality. Uh, so you you do stuff with intention, and I, I'm convinced that uh, most of us, you know, most of us uh, go through life kind of unintentionally. You know, we do what we do what somebody else thinks we ought to do. We do what society expects us to do. We do what you know, uh, um, you know, friends tell us to do. And we, we buy a car because everybody's buying a car. We buy a house because everybody's buying a house. And the, and the type of house we buy is because everybody buys that kind of, you know, we just, we just kind of go with the, you know, go with the thing. And uh, uh, um, um, I, I think that we need to really uh, step up here to the plate and, and be intentional about, the you know the, the things that, that we do i mean for me for example i just got back from two weeks of traveling and speaking at conferences and doing some farm consults and things and so i had in the last two weeks i've had 10 you know 10 airplane flights and i try to make a point not not to not to take the 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 water the drink the whatever on the plane in in general i mean sometimes i'm you know i'm just stuck and i can't get anything but so why have to use a cup? You know, we shouldn't have to use all those cups. Uh, I, mean, I don't know where they all go. Uh, probably not to the best place in the world. And, and so, 
you know, I don't, I don't want to be a cultish about this or, or be too anal, but, um, but you know, it, it, it does, it does matter, um, you know, what we do, how we live and, and, and that sort of thing. And, and being intentional about it is, I think, a it's a, it's a power, it's a powerful tool of, of affirmation of affirmation of our responsibility and privilege here, you know, on the planet. I think that's the first time I've heard the word privilege used correctly in, in three years. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah, we, we get it. We get it a lot of, of other uses, don't we? <laughs> um, you know, Joel, this wasn't my intention to go down this avenue, but I think what happened coming from a man who was a, a diehard tree hugging, do good or liberal um, that I used to be, um, I think a lot of it comes from the fact of words. And and, the, and 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 just a confusion of what we think actually good uh, means. And the the example that I like to use, um, coming from Berkeley, California, which has been in, in sort of the whole Bay Area, which has been decimated. Um, imagine we're sitting at a restaurant, you and uh, three hundred other people, and uh, I think it would be cute to feed a seagull that's flying over a breadcrumb, right? And, and what's wrong with that? I'm feeding a seagull. It's a benevolent action. I'm sharing food. I'm sharing sustenance. I'm sharing it with this other creature of God that shares the planet with me. And I throw up this piece of bread to the seagull, and within 30 seconds, the whole restaurant is fucking destroyed because a thousand seagulls have descended <laughs> on it and shit on everyone. <laughs> yeah, they, they, all, they all found there was, a, there was a free lunch somewhere, didn't they? Um, and, uh, and we call it good. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and so, so for years as a liberal, I was, I, I could hide behind that word, but I'm doing good. Yeah. And yeah. it was, it's kind of like sorcery. It's like that magic book that you think in the second grade exists, right? It's like Harry Potter shit. It, it, it's uh-huh. actually happening here. Cat, spells have been cast on our, on our, um, on our fellow human colleagues. Yeah, you're exactly right. I, I think a perfect example, uh, for, for in, you know, California, I just spent a week there. Uh, last I'm sorry. Week. I'm sorry. <laughs> I live here. <laughs> I met you here in Santa Cruz, California once, by the way, yeah. very briefly. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a great, great time. And, um, but you know, when I go there or, or see what's going on there, it strikes me, for example, the, um, you know, the, the need to cut trees, um, you know, it, it sounds so good to, to let the tree, you know, uh, not cut trees. And yet trees are living things just like anything else. They get old, they get die, they get crotchety, uh, they get diseased. Uh, some of them are really, um, you know, really not healthy. And, um, and so, uh, you know, do we, do we just, do we just let, let it proliferate, you know, to where you have huge, huge wildfires or do you, for example, get on in there, uh, with some, with some goats and some cows and prune down the biomass, some chainsaws. And as permaculture would say, you know, uh, more forest and fewer trees, weed the trees. So they're not quite so compressed. And you start, you start exercising that ecology. And, um, you know, what we have right now is ecology by abandonment. Uh, as you look back on, on the human experience, anyone who's thinking, uh, realizes that that we do have a lot of shame to carry the way you know humanity has interacted with the ecology for, you know uh, the deserts are man made the you know erosion the, the dead zone the size of Rhode Island in the Gulf of Mexico I mean you look at the civilizations have risen and fallen based on you know e- ecological um, uh, conquistador mentality 
So, you know, let, let's all let's all repent in sackcloth and ashes about that. But then let's not stay there. Let's use our intellect and our mechanical ability to now uh, use our hands and our heads to interact with nature in a healing capacity. Let, let, let's throw all of our healing capacity at it, just like we've thrown our exploitation capacity at it. And, um, and we can have a whole lot better uh, place, place to live. And, and that takes, you know, that takes really thinking through intentionality. And I understand, I understand why thinking caring people say, well, I don't want to touch ecology because whenever humanity touches it, it seems like we hurt it. You know, I, I, I totally get that. And I, I get that burden, but it, but, um, but the, the fact is that, that we have harmed and it's time to heal. So let's turn our harming into healing and let's interact it. What that means is that we maybe don't have to have as much uh, fire as our ancestors did, say in California, where, you know, what it was, four, four million acres a year burned, you know, pre-European. Um, but what we now have are chainsaws and we have wood chippers and we know how to compost uh, aggressively. And we can, and we can begin, um, you know, using this biomass to grow earthworms and build organic matter in the soil. And, and, and that means a real direct, uh, visceral interaction, participatory, a participatory persona, you know, with the ecology. Uh, is that true? 4 million acres of California would burn every year in the, you know, in the stone age. Uh, that that's my understanding. Yes. I mean, people go back and forth on that, but yeah, it was, it was a dramatic, a, a dramatic amount. And, um, and, and a lot of those fires of course were lit by the native Americans who were living there, um, to, to not only, um, you know, freshen up the vegetation, but to bring the, um, the large, the megafauna, you know, the, the bison, the elk, the, the deer and the things that were there, they would be drawn to these fire areas uh, to lick the charcoal. That was a source of mineral and um, uh, mineral and supplementation for them. And so while certainly the fires did kill some wildlife in general, um, fires were a strategic way to attract wildlife to an area, uh, you know, in order to make sure they had minerals and, and that sort of thing. And, and, and to just to, you know, to freshen up the landscape. So there was this, this kind of rotation, this strategic, I mean, the Aborigines in Australia did the same thing, um, you know, in, in the, the greatest estate, which is a wonderful book about how the Aborigines, um, you know, developed and maintained that Australian landscape. Uh, again, there was a, there was a very strategic, you know, uh, uh, burning system, but they, they, you know, they didn't have chainsaws. They didn't know about, you know, aggressive scientific composting today. Uh, they didn't have front end loaders. They didn't have, you know, uh, uh, manure spreaders and plastic pipe to ensure water. I mean, you know, there, there were th there were a lot of things that they didn't have, but their um, their systems uh, actually built soil and guaranteed, uh, you know, a um, an, an abundance system for a long, long time. Uh, I'll get back to California here in one second. Those four million acres. Colton Mertens, who's one of the top 100 fittest men in the world, writes, "I've I read a few of Joel's books, mostly good stuff. Ah, mostly. Well, that's very nice of you, Colton. Uh, Colton works on a pig farm, uh, in the middle of the country with sixteen thousand pigs. He does that by day with his father, uh, Joel, 
And then uh, in the morning and night, he trains to be the fittest man in the world, which uh, is his goal. He's, he's, a, he's a regular listener. Good dude. So California has 100 million acres of land. 43 million acres are used for agriculture. Insane. Of this, 16 million acres are for grazing and 27 million acres are cropland of those 43 million. I just looked that up really quick on Google. Who knows if it's uh, correct. Yeah, well, that's a, that's, that's a lot of that's a lot of land and in fact um a lot a lot more should be used uh you know Amer america has america you know we're we're in this time of uh supply chain issues you know empty store shelves lots of you know uh food inflation things like that you know america right now has has um 50 i'm sorry has about 35 million acres of lawns and 36 million acres uh, housing and feeding recreational horses. Uh, that's 71 million acres. That's enough to just about feed the whole country without a single farm. So, you know, um, th this, this notion that, that agriculture um, devastates the landscape is, is kind of axiomatic within the culture now. Um, but I would suggest, and, and that's of course where Bill Mollison and Dave Holmgren developed the term permaculture to say, can we have a production system that is permanent, that is a permanent agriculture that doesn't wear out, abuse, or destroy the land base? And that was, of course, the impetus for the idea of permaculture. And, and uh, so uh, what we've demonstrated here, certainly on, on our farm here in Virginia, is that we can absolutely have an agriculture that is uh, that, that builds soil. I mean, we came to a, a, a gullied rock pile uh, that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't, uh, feed 10 cows. And today, you know, it's a, uh, it, it's a hundred and the rock piles are covered up with soil that we did not, we did not carry soil there. The soil actually just built up like, like a, like a scab, like a scab on a wound on your, on your hand. And we just washed it gradually. The soil just grow over the rocks over, you know, over half a century. So I know it can be done and, uh, and we can farm in a way that actually, um, you know, actually build soil just like like the like the millions of bison and the you know the the two million wolves and the elk and the deer. I mean, Audubon Audubon sat under a tree in 1830 and he said said I couldn't see the sun for three days because the passenger pigeons uh, blocked out the sun for three days. That was before Tyson and Pilgrim's Pride and, and you know and uh, uh, Foster Farms and all the other uh, outfits uh, came along. Uh, you know, we had 200 million beavers uh, pre-European that that ate more vegetables. I mean, beavers are, are uh, herbivores that that ate more vegetables than all the people in North America today. So, you know, it, it should give us all pause to realize that 500 years ago, North America grew more nutrition than it does today, even with, uh, you know, with irrigation, John Deere tractors and hybrid seeds. Uh, one of the um, uh, uh, listeners is making fun of us. Um, he, he, Jim, Jim says, uh, Sevon has met his match for not paying attention when other people are talking. Hey, asshole, listen. I'm taking notes, and he's taking notes, so we don't forget stuff. We're old. Okay, now you know how old people were. Right. Uh, are, are you Venezuelan immigrant, Joel? <laughs> no. No, uh, you're, so, you're, you're, come on, be honest. You're born in Venezuela. No, I wasn't born in Venezuela. Oh, I, I, I was it. born, I was born in Ohio, but okay. I was, only, oh, I was like my mom, like my mom. Yeah. 
I, I was only there for six weeks before our family went back to Venezuela. So my dad, my dad uh, went to Venezuela um, in, you know, 19, whatever, 49 or uh, 48 and uh, wanted to have a farm there and did in fact buy a, buy a thousand acres. And then he married mom and we went down, but you know, this was cold war McCarthyism, 1950s. They didn't want to have, you know, problems with us, citizenship and all that. So they, they came back to the States briefly to have uh, each of us, my older brother and myself, but uh, Pan, Pan American wouldn't let you fly unless you were at least six weeks old. And so uh, they came back to have me and, and, and uh, I wouldn't come and wouldn't come and wouldn't come. And so finally they, they had to induce mom. So we had our return plane tickets, right? I had to be six weeks old. And so they induced mom to get me out in time to make the flight back to Venezuela. So I was only there for, I was only there for four years. I, I was four when we came back to the States, we, we got caught in a, in a junta, you know, with uh, Pérez Pérez Jiménez there in 1959 and basically, we we fled the back doors. The machine guns came in the front door, and wow. uh, and lost. Was it, lost was it that close? Was it really that close? Yeah, it, it really was. Well, you know what happened? How uh, old were you at that point? I, I was four. My older brother okay. was seven. Uh, our, our our younger sister hadn't been born yet. But um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that when there's anarchy, when there's when there's this kind of um, anarchical disturbance in a in a country, it it gives license to settle a lot of um, scores mm. that otherwise wouldn't be settled. Mm. And so what happened was uh, we had already started raising, we were out there on the land. Uh, we were raising chickens and, you know, in those, uh, in those countries, not as much today, but certainly more then you, know, you didn't have electricity and the way the, the, the cities got food was the, the farmers would come in to their stalls, you know, to their, uh, to the square city square and, and set up, you know, and, and, and the vendors, vendors would buy the papayas, the bananas, the chickens, the whatever, and then, and then take them through town, like a, like an ice cream truck, except it wasn't an ice cream truck. It was the, and so the, the families then, all, you know, normally the lady, the lady, the, the senora, the lady of the house would then, um, would then buy, she, you know, she wants papaya, pineapple, banana, you know, chicken, uh, uh, coffee beans, whatever. And so she buys from these different vendors, uh, who come to the door and they all had their routes and their customers and all that stuff. Well, the indigenous chickens at that time all had subtherapeutic pneumonia due to the very unhygienic, unsanitary way they raised them. The chickens ran through the, you know, human, human feces, the open sewers and, and just ran everywhere. And they all had this kind of, this kind of, uh, subtherapeutic, kind of respiratory uh, uh, drainage from just low grade, you know, low grade uh, lack of hygiene. And, and when we started with our chickens, ours were nice and clean. They, they didn't have any of that because we didn't let them run. You know, we, we had them in a different situation. And so, um, so the bottom line was that uh, in that culture at that time, uh, everybody knew about this, this kind of mucus, this, uh, snot, this mucus drainage, you know, from the chickens and, and the, the chicken with the driest beak always commanded the most money because they were the healthiest. Everybody knew wow. what a healthier chicken was. And so the vendors were always looking for, you know, healthier chickens. So very, very quickly, dad cornered the market, the, lo the local market on chickens because ours were nice and clean and had dry beaks. And, and the vendors wanted that, wanted that. Well, the other farmers, they, they accused us of witchcraft 
and and practicing voodoo, <laughs> you know, because they didn't they didn't know that there was another way to do this, and these people must be into witchcraft and voodoo. So, so when when the when the anarch, you know, when the junta and, and the all that uh, broke loose, and there was basically lawlessness within the more more lawlessness than normal in the countryside. It, it 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 gives it gave license for some of these folks to um, exercise their uh, unhappiness <laughs> unhappiness with us, and um, and so we don't know how much of it was you know targeting targeting this American family from the top down or right. actually let let's let's settle some scores from the bottom up. We actually don't know what all those uh, entailed, but uh, the bottom line was. Uh, we we fled for our life as we got overrun by the, you know, by these uh, revolutionaries. And um, do you have any memories of it? Actual memories? Uh, I have. I don't have any memories of the farm. What I have memories of is the trauma. I remember um, Dad uh, turning around in a, in the ju- on a jungle road. Uh, there was a roadblock with a bunch of these um, you know these rebels, and um, and he flipped around the 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 Jeep to, you know, to not go to the roadblock. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, being sprayed with water, uh, you know, like these, water cannon, like them, like water, water, yeah, water cannons. Um, uh, and, and, and then I remember some of the, the final days there in, uh, in Caracas, uh, we were in a little town named Elimon as well, uh, for a couple of months. While Dad tried to get protection, you know, we had a deed. We we tried to get protection. We tried to get something, and and everything. A the government officials were primarily, you know, they were afraid they were going to be assassinated, right. and and of course, all the local constables. Everything is run on bribes. It's all a payola payola system, and so the, we just we just ran finally ran out of um, you know ran out of options. Uh, every door closed, and we and and. It broke Dad's heart. Dad not Dad never got over it. I, I think that's one reason he died so young. Uh, he left his heart there. He loved the people. He'd been there for twelve years. He loved the people. He loved the language. He loved the culture. I mean, how can you not love a place where you can have pineapples and banana trees in your yard? Um, and and um, I still and you guys think, lost the land. The land's not in the yes, family anymore. No, we lost we lost everything. I, I I still have the deed rolled up here in a in a little canister here on this bookshelf behind me. Um, there, there, the deed is there, but, um, but no, we, uh, lost it all. Um, if, if I could, if I could just kind of, yeah, you're, you're so, I, I'm not, I'm not used to somebody being interested in that story. Uh, but, but, um, when we, when the reason we came to Virginia was because dad was still hoping to go back. He hoped that once things settled down that we'd be able to go back. And so he wanted to be at that time, this is 1961, uh, he wanted to be within a day's drive of um, of Washington D.C. so that if things settled, we could we could immediately within hours be at the Venezuelan embassy, get paperwork, oh. and, and 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 go back. And so that's why we settled in Virginia rather than where mom and dad's roots were out in the Midwest. And um, and so we you know we uh, we came here. Now interestingly, about a week or two before we left uh, Caracas and came home. Um, dad got uh, an audience with a journalist named Drew Pearson. Drew Pearson was equivalent to um, whatever, uh, like a, a, a Wolf Blitzer today or a, you know, name any of the top, 
you know, the top commentators from any of the major channels. And, um, and he, the U S as this want to do was pouring a bunch of foreign aid into Venezuela, trying to prop up the regime and all this saying that they were friends and, and all this. And um, he'd gone down there with his entourage on a fact finding mission to determine as a journalist, you know, is this really true? And dad got an audience with him and, uh, and told him our story. And he was just incensed about it. He just said, well, you know, that, that that's, Obviously, the government is not taking care of of American interests and and freedom and and that sort of thing, and so he said, "I can't do anything right now, but I'll do what I can when I get back to the U.S." Well, um, meanwhile, we came back as well, uh, bought this old rundown rock pile farm here in Virginia, and about uh, a, a month after moving into the house, sure enough, we got a call from the Venezuelan ambassador uh, in D.C. He didn't say he didn't say you can go back. What he's what we found out was Drew Pearson, good to his word. This this is why I still love journalists. I you know I, I have a deep deep love for good journalism. Drew Pearson called the Venezuelan ambassador. This is the way the story came to us. We don't know if it's exact, but but this is the way the story came to us. He called the ambassador and said, "Look, um, I found out that you are not taking care of freedom and liberty and 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 property and things like that, and um, and certainly expat Americans that are in your country. So, if you don't give if you don't give the Salatin family a settlement for uh, stealing their land, I'm going to feature them on next week's broadcast. All. <coughs> excuse me, all across the nation. I'm going to feature them on, on next week's broadcast and you will not get another dime of U.S. aid to Venezuela. Mm. And that scared them enough that they quickly capitulated and they they wrote out, it was a, it was a token check. It wasn't nearly what we'd lost, but for dad, it was at least, you know, a recognition that they they had done us wrong. And with that little check, Joel, in my in my notes here, it says that they actually didn't send you any money. They sent you a barrel of oil, two parrots, and a pineapple. <laughs> Sorry, I must have, I must have read that wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, uh, uh, we would have enjoyed the bananas. I can assure you of that. Uh, but no, that they sent us a little check, and with that little check, Dad bought a little a little herd of Hereford cows. Uh, oh, that, that that's a good story. With. Yeah, yeah, that 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 that's how we. That's how uh, he was able to, you know, to pay for, because I mean, he, he, dad was 42 uh, prime of his career and he, and, and he had, he lost, he lost everything. Um, We're never going to get, we, I'm going to have to have you back on again. We're never, ever going to get to the main reason why you're on. There's no fucking way. Okay. Uh, um, I want, I, I want to ask, um, I want to ask why your dad bought 550 acres if he planned on going back. But before we go there, there, do you ever think that you are becoming your dad, that you are your dad? I just, there's a story you tell uh, about your dad riding his bike to work for a couple of years at the age of 50. And yeah. as I'm hearing you tell this story, I'm like, oh, man, we all do turn into our parents. I wonder if this dude knows he's his dad, because in that story, in that story, there is a there were three components that I heard in, in um, uh, uh, your dad in his 50s rode his bike to work during the gas shortage. Um, it appears that's who you are today, Mr. Joel Salatin. You have a level of conviction, logic, practicality and community contribution. I mean, you're yeah. the same dude, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I wish I could be half the man that, that dad was. He he was such a man of conviction. And again, this this intentionality, you know, when that Arab oil embargo hit, he was. Yeah, he was. In Tell a, me about that really quick. G give us for yeah. those of us who weren't around back then. What, what happened? <laughs> 
All right. Well, you know, when, when the Arab oil embargo hit in the 1970s, okay. you, know, you, you couldn't you couldn't get gas. Gas went real high. They ra they rationed gas. I remember, I remember that your license plate had to have a certain yes, otter yes. even. OK, now yeah, I remember. Okay. You, you, you could only get gas uh, on, on odd or even days. You couldn't get gas whenever you wanted it. You had to think about this. It was a huge, huge disruption. And, and I remember very well dad sitting at the table saying, well, well, we'll just we'll just we'll just let them keep their oil then we just won't we just won't buy it and he went out and bought he he was <clears throat> his uh office uh where he worked at that time he was a worked at a metal fabrication place as a bookkeeper estimator blueprint you know uh reader and and the, and the financial end of it and um and it was thir 13 miles away from the house he went out and bought a bought a 10 speed bicycle and he began riding the 13 miles to work uh, every day. He said, if everybody, wow. who, if everybody would just do this, the Arabs can just keep, he didn't hate the Arabs. He, it was just a matter of what, what, what can I do to, um, to just whatever boycott the abuse. You know? Right, or, right, right. Well, he's part of the solution. One man yeah. at a time, be the yeah. solution you want that's to see right. in the world. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's we, what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I, I don't know whether I'm more or less uh, hip. You know, we all have our little hypocritical things, but um, you know, I'm, I'm really aggressive on this. And, uh, and I think that we need to be, uh, we need to be thinking about what, well, our, on our farm, our, our mantra is healing the, healing the land one bite at a time. We want people to understand when you look at your plate in front of you and you kind of, if you blurred your eyes and squinted and look through that plate, what kind of landscape is represented by what's on that plant, on that plate? Is it a landscape that, that, that encourages uh, hydration, that encourages rain cycles, that encourages uh, pollinators that encourages earthworms, or, or does it only encourage Wall Street and, and, and a short-term, you know, a short-term financial gain? And uh, those are the kind of questions that I think it's worth that it's worth asking and, and wrestling with. I don't have all the answers. I certainly and, and I certainly have my hypocrisies, but um, goodness, can we at least wrestle and try? to, you know, to work through some of those things. And so that at the end of the week, we look back, you know, like there's an old Chinese proverb about, you know, this, this, this child that asks his grandfather, he's got these two dogs, which dog will thrive? And grandpa says the dog that you feed. And so, you know, the, the question is at the end, of, when I look back at the end of the week, I don't want to be a, a cult or, or about this, but, but which, which dog, which, which dog, uh, did I feed this week? Which dog is going to get stronger? Which dog is going to get weaker? And let's uh, let's think about that. Um, when when you were, when you were in, are your parents Jewish? No, but no, there were a lot of Jews in Venezuela who had escaped. Um, yes, the, the big Jewish community there, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, that whole tier from you know down through Argentina had big ones. Uh, yeah, all all down through there. Yes, that is correct. But no, we. We're not. We're we're German. We're some sort of Swiss German, I think. Okay. It, it, were either of your parents um, first generation? No, no. Okay. Uh, first generation would ha you'd have to go back to my uh, great grandfather to go to first generation. Yeah. And, and where did your parents meet? Uh, well, Dad was in the Navy. He flew. He flew in World War II uh, in the Navy, and um, so. Uh, mom, uh, dad, dad had grown up in, in Indiana. Mom had grown up in Ohio. 
and um, mom went to college and um, then was at, at uh, Indiana University getting her master's in health and health and phys ed. Oh, and, wow. Wow. And, and uh, so dad, dad then came back after the war on the GI Bill to IU and he majored in business, uh, business administration. And so they, they met at Indiana University. But listen, I've got I've got rebelliousness on both sides of my family. My mom, uh, not to leave her out of the story, mom, mom, as a in, in college, um, she, you know, she had um, she um, was a woman for starters. <laughs> she was a woman and she, she'd become a Christian and she had grown up uh, in a home uh, in an alcoholic, her, her dad left her when she was a very, very small girl. And, um, and so she grew up her, her mom, my grandmother married three different guys in her life, all of whom were alcoholics. So mom had, mom had, mom had a, grew up with a, with a hatred of alcoholism. And so when she went to college and of course she was, you know, uh, very well liked, everybody wanted to join the fraternity. Well, she went to the administration and said, I want to start a brand new women's sorority that is alcoholless, where where the parties that we have and the things that we do have no alcohol. And so they 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 kind of let her do it, but they put in her in her school records. Um, this is a troublemaker. This is a troublemaker uh, because she wants to do you know uh, uh, things that aren't normal, <laughs> and, and and so. You know, so I, I have I have these convictional roots on both. You know, both mom and dad were had these. Um, if if you if you see something you want to change or do, we'll just just do it. And and I'm not dependent on peers. Uh, when people ask me what's your greatest gift that your family gave you, I think the greatest gift my family gave me was I am not peer dependent. I I I don't care a lick what the neighbors say. I don't care what I I, I am. You know. <laughs> Um, it, 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 it has stood me well to be able to not worry about the, the, whatever laughter, scoffers, condescension, whatever other people do and say, I mean, in school, in, in high school, I wanted to be a farmer, but I, I had good grades. I was in the honor society. Um, I still remember the last time I was with the guidance counselor as a rising senior, she's looking at my curriculum and, um, and she said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a farmer. She about went into apoplectic seizures. You know what? We're going to waste all that talent and all those brains. And all that. I said, well, yeah, I want to be a, I want to be a, a you know, a, a farmer. And I'd walk down the halls, you know, and, and, and the, the students, you know, would, would, uh, sneer, you know, chicken man, chicken man. Cause I had chickens. Everybody knew I had chickens and, um, and, and, you know, they, they, they'd sneer and all that. And it, you know what? Um, I am so thankful that I wasn't whatever scarred or or deterred i wasn't deterred by that kind of um that kind of peer pressure i i had a goal i knew what i wanted to do and um and i just i'm so thankful neither mom nor dad um listened to i mean they went to venezuela in 1950 who goes to you know what what middle class american goes to goes to venezuela in 1950 you know to to far, to farm with the monkeys um, yeah that's the part i, I want to i have got a question about that so i'm trying to imagine i i i got a my wife's beyond cool so i could easily be like hey we're moving to venezuela and she'd do it but how do you how does he 
how does he meet this woman who's highly educated be, beyond her peer group? And, and maybe she talked him into it and say, hey, I want to go to Venezuela. I mean, he went there to do farming, right? He went there to do permaculture. He went there to homestead, right? Well, um, th- that's where its story is a little bit uh, a little bit squirrely. Oh, please tell me he went there to grow tobacco and get diamonds and come back a billionaire. No, Was no, that no, it? No, 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 he did. He did go to farm. He did go to farm. But uh, I think in the early romance of it all, you know, we we sweep red flags under the under the rug. You know, in early cocaine uh, distribution, he was going to do cocaine. Please, no, something good. No, uh, no. He, what, what he went for originally, the reason he went down there was with Texas Oil Company as a bilingual accountant, mm. um, which was a very very high paying job at that time, and and that's how he earned the money to buy the farm. So he, he's sitting here in, in in the U.S. as a teenager. Wanting to farm. He wanted to farm as a teenager, but he didn't have any money. Family didn't have any money. He wasn't going to inherit anything. He didn't have anything. How do you, how do you start? Did he get money from the Navy from his time in the Navy? Like a little check or something? Uh, no. Just the GI bill, no, okay. nothing else. GI bill. Okay. Not and a so lifetime he, check. No, 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 no. Okay. What? No. And, and so, so, you know, what, what is a, what does a guy do? Well, he, and he was always on to the next thing. Uh, if he had a weakness, if dad had, a, well, he had a couple weaknesses, but one of his weaknesses was he got, he got tired of the same thing all very easily. He he was always into the next, the next thing. Uh, you know, we, well, we did that last year. Let's do something different this year. And so as a little child, you know, growing up in the thirties, he wrote the, he read these, uh, they were called big little books, big little books. And they were, um, they were stories about, Admiral Perry discovering the North Pole and and you know all these explorers and 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 uh, there was a there was a an explosion of this kind of you know global exploration you know the Dutch East Indies became Indonesia you know you had all this kind of stuff going on uh during the 30s and he just was enamored of wow that's that's new you know it's, it's a new country it's a new place it's a new opportunity and um, and you know the U.S. has already completely discovered. You know what else is discovered in North America? And so he saw this as a as a new frontier. You know, a new place to to go and and um, and and enjoy. And so he went uh, he went to um, to Middlebury in in Vermont for six for uh, a semester in Spanish, and then hitchhiked. Get this, he hitchhiked from May from from Vermont to Mexico. Wow. And spent six months with a family in Mexico to bone up on his Spanish, came back, sat for the foreign civil service exam in Spanish, passed it his first uh, time, and then went as a very high paid bilingual accountant with Texas Oil Company during the exploration off of uh, uh, Maracay, uh, off the coast there of Venezuela. And and in seven years, in seven years, was able to earn enough money to buy this thousand acre property in the highlands of, of interior uh, Venezuela. And so, um, so that's, you know, so mom, mom, you're lucky, you didn't, you're lucky your name down. isn't Jolito. You're lucky your name isn't, he didn't marry some, uh, <laughs> some six months well, in, in uh, Mexico. You how did he, <laughs> wow. Okay. Go on. Yeah, I, well, I, I, you well, might have brothers I mean, the, and sisters. Yeah. There's time to check. Yeah. Well, the, 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 re- <laughs> So, so when mom, so, so when, when mom went originally, he was this, you know, very high paid, um, you know, uh, American expat in an American business uh, in, in Venezuela. And so 
while the while the farm was the ultimate goal, um, I, I don't think Dad might not have presented that as accurately. As oh, he, to mom, okay, to mom, as okay. as he could have, and she went down as this, you know, nice, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of kind of mid 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 management um, kind of fun and, and mom loves to travel boy she's traveled man she has itchy feet i mean uh when you say let's go somewhere she doesn't ask you where she said i'm in the car where are we going i mean she yeah and, and so, so so she you know so that part appealed uh, appealed to mom and so then as the thing as the thing developed uh then he was able to move forward with the farm and of course we moved out there and the, the thing that the real different thing for us was most of the people who had farms in venezuela they lived in the city and the, the peasants, you know, lived out on the land. The, the, the people who owned the land lived in the city. So we were extremely unusual out in the countryside in that we, we actually owned the land and wanted to live there. That was highly, highly unusual. Did you have a phone on, do you know, do you remember having a phone on the property? (laughs) There was no, there, there was no phone. Our water, our water came from a siphon from a spring up on the ridge behind the house. The mm-hmm. water came on us and the monkeys, the monkeys would keep coming down and chewing holes in the siphon. So dad, dad had a whole batch of patches. He was always having to run up and patch the hose because the monkeys would come and, uh, and, and chew holes in it. What a life. Um, does your brother remember it better than you since he's, yes. he's five oh, years yeah. old? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was seven. And, uh, so yeah, he remembers it a lot more. In in fact, in many ways, he has more trauma, trauma from, from the, well, the, the trauma of the, of, of the fleeing. And then, you know, um, uh, he, he understood more what was going on than I did. And so actually that's one of the reasons why, um, we didn't continue to speak Spanish in the home. Of course, dad was fluent, fluent. I spoke Spanish before English. My brother was fluent. You know, we were, we were growing there. We were fluent in the language. And when we came back here um, into this, you know, rural conservative, rural conservative community, this was, you know, 1961. It was McCarthyism, Cold War. Um, uh, and, and, oh, you'd love this story. So our, so the farm that we bought um, was purchased in 19, 19- 49 by a family from New Mexico who bought it for their kids and they came and they fixed up the house and everything. Well, four years, their kids said, we don't want the farm. So they sold the farm. They were from New Mexico. A lot of people around here at that time didn't realize New Mexico was part of the U S and so they just heard Mexico, you know, so they thought foreign country. Well, then they sold it to a guy from, um, from, from uh, Saudi Arabia Wow. Who had who who had who had made money in oil exploration in the Middle East, and uh, so he bought it. He was here four years, and then a buddy of his that he owed money to in some of their uh, wildcat ventures found him, and in the whatever the the development, uh, this this buddy then uh, uh, got the farm from him and for the bad debts that it accumulated. So he had a New Mexico, a Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. And then, and then they were here four years and then we come. So four years, four years, four years. And then we come from Venezuela. So this is, remember, this is the 1950s, Cold War, McCarthyism. So two weeks, listen to this, two weeks after we moved in, the Ku Klux Klan burned 
burned a bale of hay and a cross in our lane. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, those are Democrats, just so you know. Just so you know. Those are my people. Those are my people who did that. Those, yeah. those guys with the white sheets on their head, those were my people from Berkeley, Democrats. Okay. That's now right. they're called Antifa. Sorry, go on. Yeah, I just yeah. wanted to make sure anyone who does, not, oh, hasn't me. been around long enough. Okay. So they burned a bale of hay on the on the lane so that we would know that the community knew that this was a, a, a communist espionage uh, center. Because, you know, what's the what's the period of foreign service? Four years, right? You go out four years and you come home. Four years, come home. So here yeah. we have four years of New Mexico, four years of Saudi Arabia, four years of Mexico. Here comes a family from Venezuela. By that time, the community said, OK, OK, we get it. We get it now. This is this is a communist espionage ring. So welcome. That was our welcome wagon to the community. You know, was the was the Ku Klux Klan burning a bale of hay? And you know, seven. We did not get we did not get to the bottom of that whole thing until literally thirty years later, when I when I got very very friendly with one of our older neighbors, and I'd go over there and visit. And finally, uh, they they spilled the beans on that whole thing. The whole community knew it and kept it all as a. We didn't know the background of all the Ku Klux Klan and all that stuff. We didn't know about that. Uh, until literally we'd been here 30 years, uh, the community finally fessed up to to what it was. Now, I mean, I mean, we're still, you know, we're still weirdos, that's for sure. Uh, but but uh, at least the community knows that we're here to stay. We've been here now for uh, what 60 61 years, and so um, I think they know we're here to stay, and we love them, and um, you know, they're not gonna. Uh, they they we we help each other, and you know, it's 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 good that way. But I was just too. That, that, go that, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, that's the reason why. So what, what I was going to answer was the reason. The reason that we quit when we came back to the U.S. Mom and Dad intended to to continue speaking Spanish in the home, so we kids oh. would would maintain our bilingual our bilingual uh, ability. But when my older brother, you were asking about my older brother, he was three years older, so he's seven. I'm four. He's seven. He goes to school, and of course, he gets. You know, he's just been through this this. Un- unbelievably traumatic situation in in Venezuela coming back here and um and of course you know spanish you you put upside down exclamation marks and excla- upside down um you know question marks on the end of sentences and things like that and so kids would laugh at him poke fun at him and so he started having you know emotional issues uh due to bullying just being laughed at in school cuz you know he would he would he would just break out in spanish or we go to the store you know we kids didn't know uh, not to speak Spanish in the store. So we're in a group. Right. What if one of the Klansmen heard you sitting yeah. in, in aisle over? Yeah, yeah, I- I- exactly. And so so all these people, they're looking at us weird and all that stuff. And and, and with, with my brother's uh, issues. And so they decided, we're, you know, we're, we're just going to, we're just going to lay off of it and let it go. And they did. And I, I still very, I deeply regret, I, I still speak my when, when I, for example, I don't say Caracas, I say Caracas. Okay. I, 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 I don't say agua for water. I say agua, you know, I've got perfect. And when I get around Spanish speaking people, they, they kind of look, Oh, you know, they're not used to a, you know, to a, to a English speaker having that level of linguistic, uh, linguistic command of the, uh, of the language. So I still have the linguistics, but I don't have the vocabulary, which I, I, I greatly, um, you know, I, I wish I had it, but uh, you, I don't. <laughs> um, I just finished um, uh, listening to um, Frank Brady. That's the author. He wrote uh, a book called Onassis. Ah, uh-huh. 
and uh, it's about Aristotle Onassis. Sure, and, sure. And I, I wonder if your dad worked for him. <laughs> well, no, well, I mean, dad, dad worked for Tech Texas Oil Company. Okay. Uh, which, which was not on Onassis was in the ship, you know, right. He moved their oil. He moved the oil. Okay. Uh, okay. Dad worked with Texas oil company, which eventually of course became Texaco. And, um, and they talk about that in the book about, I mean, man, that was a lot of money. That was the business to be in back then. Oh, was, Oh yeah. Listen that, that whole, uh, and especially see the reason they wanted a bilingual accountant um, on the oil in the, what they call the oil camps in in the you know the wildcat ventures was because the managers were American who spoke English and the workers were Venezuelans who spoke Spanish and of course um, the the workers would come out and live in what they called the man camp uh, I don't think there were any women around there at that point but they uh, some of them were married some of them weren't but the men would come for the week and live in a man camp and then they'd go home for the weekend lots of times. And and the, the the friction arose about the money. You had a company store, you had payroll, and, and you had all these you know these guys uh, in that in, in living kind of in close quarters in the man camp. And then you had man you know the American managers they were living you know over in different quarters. And the tension was always about money. And so this 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 uh, this bilingual accountant was a very very specific uh, need that they had in those early days of OPEC, um, uh, well, you know, before OPEC, uh, in, in order to, you know, well, to, just to keep things functioning. I mean, if you had a, uh, well, it is all about the money lots of times. And so, so dad ended up being kind of the, you know, the diplomat, the diplomat and the, the, whatever the, the relational, the relational masseuse in this, um, you know, uh, kind of raucous raucous work setting you know between the venezuelans and the americans in these wildcat ventures uh for those of you who are listening uh, and you guys are piling in i'm seeing you guys pile in uh, just so you know uh, you can hear all uh, if you if you type in joel salatin into youtube you will hear a, a video on any question you have should I get chicken? Should I not get chickens? Where should I put my pig? Should I should I bathe him with soap or should I just bathe him with water? It's all it's all there. It's all it's it's all there. It's all there. So, so um, there there is a um, there is a and, and he has twelve books. Is it twelve or is it fifteen? I'm it's seeing two different numbers. Yeah, it's it, it's fifteen, fifteen of them now. Yeah. Okay, it, I looked at something that was only published last week. You must have come out with three new books, right? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, web websites are really hard to keep current. You know, you put that stuff on and then you, oh, suddenly, oh, goodness. You know, it's been a, 18 months since I, you know, since I did something with that. So um, I but, thought I wanted to ask you this question and I thought it was such a stupid question. I thought maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but I was dying to ask it. And then I went to your website, The Lunatic Farmer, and I see that you also asked the same question. So either we're both dumb <laughs> or... There's other options, so I'll, I'll, I'll be humble and not say them. Is there no one – this is a quote, um, uh, ladies and gentlemen, from uh, Joe Salatin's website, uh, The Lunatic Farmer. It's a post just from uh, three weeks ago. This is at the very bottom. Um, is there no one somewhere who will take the McDonald's antidote option and offer our nation something real? G um, 
the way I interpret what you're saying is, can we just have one restaurant where um, you can look at, like, uh, you can know that the cow was, um, it, it's, it's, right. it's fast food, but still, yeah. you know, the cow is like, yeah. was eating grass and it's within a hundred miles of the restaurant yes. and that it can still have a drive through can look like a McDonald's, but we know the food's like legit. Yeah. Is that yeah. like, can you describe what you mean by that? Yeah. Well, what, what, well, your you, fantasy. I don't care what it is. Make your fantasy fast food restaurant for me. Oh man. Please. My, yeah. So my fantasy fast food restaurant <laughs> is that, that the, uh, the, the provenance, the, the, the provenance comes from, you said it, you know, hopefully, you know, within a hundred miles or so. So it's kind of a regional, uh, food shed kind of arrangement. And, um, and, and so it's still fat, it's still fast food, but it's, but the provenance is real. You know, the chickens are on pasture. The, 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 the grain for the pigs is not genetically modified organisms. Uh, they're on pasture. The cows are grass finished. The herbivores are grass finished, no grain. <clears throat> and, and all the, all the provenance comes in uh, uh, that way. Um, another, another, you know, uh, dream would be that this would be a fast food place that does not serve any, there would not be any high fructose corn syrup. It's actually the only kind of beverages would be things like kombucha, uh, you know, um, uh, water, water, mead, not, not in plastic, water, not, not in plastic, not, not in plastic, <laughs> um, you know, carbonated, uh, you, you can have carbonated juices, I mean, if if you if you get carbonated juices, they're fantastic, um, and and the the oil the, the any oils would not be um, uh, canola oil. You know, they'd be at least sunflower or better. Uh, may, maybe you know, maybe olive is a little bit too too high. You gotta you know. No, pick- why not? It's our dream restaurant. My wife won't <laughs> let me go there if it's sunflower oil. Please put something else. Something else. <laughs> okay, so you know, so olive or avocado oil or something. Uh, and then, and then in my dream world, here's my, my dream world would be that the, the people who work in the restaurant, imagine this seven, they would be on a rotation. So imagine one week in the restaurant, one week in the processing facility, whether it's the butcher or the, 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 the tomato, you know, where you're actually, you know, uh, making tomato paste and things like that. And then one week on the farm. So imagine a three-week rotation where they're farming one week, processing one week, and then in the restaurant another week. The, the, the beauty of that is think of how, how vested, how informed, how, uh, how visceral and participatory everybody in that whole thing would be. Suddenly they're cooking, they're cooking food that, that next week they're going to they're gonna be out in the field growing. And you get this incredibly uh, deep, a sense of ownership and stewardship a stewardship not only for the food the land the the whole uh, logistics of the thing but then you take that stewardship uh and, and you you can project it then on your on the customers the customers come in and they're not just getting somebody who's throwing something in a bag they're getting somebody who carried buckets of water to chickens last week you know and and who who then actually took the life of the chickens in the processing uh thing and you get this incredibly um a rich rich bath of of um of comprehensive comprehensive visceral participatory understanding of the entire cycle of life 
comprehensive comprehension. That's what I thought you were going to do. I thought you were going to get crazy on me. Uh, so, so I would be where I would be the, uh, 20... I, wasn't, I wasn't as quick as you. I, I wasn't able to be that quick. I'm going to be the 22 year old kid and I'm going to have a tray of four hamburgers and I'm going to hand them over the counter to you. And I'm going to be crying and you're going to go Sevon, what's wrong. And I'm going to be like, last week I was with Joe, the cow, and now I'm serving him to you. I'm so sorry. He was a good cow. I swear. Please enjoy him. No, no, I, um, um, we, we'll uh, we'll work through that. We'll work through that. You know, it, it it's where well, it is. It's it's authentic. You know, it's I, it authentic. is. It is. It is. It's I'm authentic. making. Yeah. I, I I you know I'm a um I'm a city guy. Like I, I remember being in college in my in my uh, and I'm not even really a city guy, but I remember being in college and my friends were fishing off the uh, coast of uh, uh, Isla Vista, California, just north of Santa Barbara, where I went to school, and we, the whole town was on the ocean there. And my friends would be fishing, and they would be like, "Hey, I gotta take a piss. Hold my pole." And I couldn't. I go, what if what if a fish grabs it? And they're like, well, bring him in. I'm like, I, I'll start crying if I see him come out of the water. <laughs> Meanwhile, 20 minutes later, I'm just down at McDonald's, you know, eating sure. a hamburger like that's the right. most abused cow that's ever been alive. Yeah. I'm yeah. eating them. Yeah, that's 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 the disconnect. That's the disconnect. And I and I think what what ha- what's happened in our culture um, is that as we have segregated, as we have segregated ourselves from uh, from participatory foundations of life <clears throat> we have we have lost a sense of wonder awe and mystery uh and, and even and even deep appreciation yes i was going to say appreciation yes D- deep appreciation and gratitude for the privileges and responsibilities uh of 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 being of being stewards of being caretakers here and and all that that entails and so yeah so we have you know so we have people that don't understand that um that it, it that that something has to die for something else to live, e- even if it's a microbe in a co- there, there's no more uh, death, life, sex, and everything else going on in a compost pile, right? A compost pile epitomizes life, death, eating, being eaten, and and, and the regeneration, the resurrection of life anew from the energies uh, 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 offered as sacrifice from the old life. A, a, a tree dies. And it remains rot, and that rot creates mycelium and and, and fungal and and uh, organic matter and feeds the or you know microbes. And, and th- this is the way life goes. If you don't believe things are eating and being eaten, go lie naked in your flower bed for a week and see what gets eaten. Um, and, and so, so th- this is this is not a this is not a bad thing. It's just foundational. In fact, when I talk to, to elementary school kids, I, I, you know, go through this kind of uh, life, death, decomposition, regeneration, life, death, decomposition, this kind of cycle thing. And I say, look, if, if you want to be fully, fully flourishing as a person, if you want to uh, uh, have uh, your, your life as full as it can be, then then think about others before yourself sacrifice mm. your own needs sacrifice your own desires for other people that's the way you bring sacred relationship to your life and meaning to it Th- this whole you know I- I- i'm the center of my universe i'm entitled i'm a victim all this this i i i business it is not the way is not the way to actually generate full life flourishing for you or anybody else around you and and we see that we see that when we participate in in growing tomatoes or pigs or chickens or avocado whatever it is uh we see that that cycle um you know wow. our, our our culture right now it lives in this fantasy world our, our young people um 
you know, live on, on video games that are completely fantasy. You know, if, 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 if you get shot in your violent uh, um, game uh, in, in five seconds, the game gives you a new, a new you, you know, a, a new icon for only $3 and 99 cents. You get to come back to life. <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and, and what, what's that teaching people? It, it's teaching people that life, life is cheap. Life is not sacred. Life is replaceable. Life is, um, it, it, it has nothing to do with, with reality, but, that's why I'm such a big believer in children and gardens. You know, when you, you got that tomato and that tomato, uh, you don't take care of it and it wilts and dies from a, a disease or lack of care or whatever. You don't just sit there and in 10 minutes, the garden gives you a new tomato. This is, this is for all the marbles. And I, I think that, that some of our lack of reason, lack of common sense in the culture is because we have, we have more than any other culture in history, our wealth, our, our wealth and our, our technological advancement has given us the, the profound ability to abdicate, to, to abdicate our moorings from our ecological umbilical to such a profound extent that we now don't appreciate our dependent, our utter dependency and our responsibility to that, um, to that womb. That was a mouthful. Wow. Wow. Do you, do you feel like I, I sense some urgency in your voice? Yes. Um, I, or, or, I, or maybe it's excitement. I don't mean to project. I don't, I'm, trying, I'm trying to understand. You're, 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 it's obviously it's obviously passionate. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm both. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I am. Uh, yeah, I am excited. I mean, this, this is the uh, when people say what floats your boat, you know, what floats my boat? is being able to walk out the back porch and just step in to this, to this uh, um, ecological womb that, that I get to. I womb, get to W-O-M, like, 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 like uterus, like ecological womb. You're saying like your, yeah, yeah. your property is a place where like, there's an explosion of growth, like inside that, of a right. woman giving right. birth. Okay. Okay. That's okay. Right. okay. W W O M B. That's right. Okay. okay. Uh, you know, so, so uh, I mean, how many, how many people get to actually uh, put their hands viscerally on on life every day um you know it, it, it you know to, not enough people not enough people get to uh put their hands on life every day and so to be able to um to sense that i can i can bring more earthworms i can bring more abundance i can bring um uh soil building um microbes and, and, and nutritious food, I mean, that's a, that's a, a, both a privilege and a responsibility, but the urgency is the urgency is that the, uh, you know, the old Chinese uh, saying that if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to end up where you're headed. And, and I, you know, uh, every civilization has destroyed its, its basic, uh, its resource base. Um, you know, China uh, China is now trying to make amends for now, you know, a, a century of exploitation under, you know, Mao and then uh, Chow. And, and, and so they're, they're on a massive tree planting campaign. I mean, it's, it's amazing uh, what they now realize has happened here in the U S you know, we're desertifying, we're desertifying as fast as any country in the world. 
We've got a dead zone the size of Rhode Island and the Gulf. When you of say desertifying, you're talking about all the obese people at Disneyland eating de desserts. No, I'm talking about deserts. I'm talking about right, drying right, out the land. Right, that other desertifying. We're desertifying <laughs> until okay, I'm good, good. I'm, right. I'm not all talking right. about the uh, chocolate chocolate chip cookies. Oh, okay, all right, because um, we've desertified we've desertif <laughs> desertified our fucking entire population. I was just at Disneyland, and like it's just people sitting around eating ice cream. It's not an amusement park. It's yeah. a giant fucking sugar factory. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Well, sorry. Okay. Okay. Yeah, no, it, it, it sure is. So, so back yeah, to the urgency. So we're, sorry, yeah, sorry. So we're, we're, we're drying out the landscape. In fact, look, you know, um, California is certainly symptomatic of that as well. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, people like me and people who are smarter than me, uh, we actually believe that we can hydrate the landscape, that we can actually do very, very specific things uh, that act, that actually rehydrate the landscape that these they're projects that are being done in in Lebanon and Australia and and all over the all over the planet in very very dry places uh that that are reversing that reverse the um you know the drying out of the landscape and so uh i i don't want to get in a big you know uh climate change and all that kind of thing what i what i do know is that we are losing you know, thousands of acres a year of productive, a uh, productive soil, productive capacity on the planet, and we need we need to reverse that. Otherwise, we we're like the Chinese proverb: if you keep going the way you're going, you're going to end up where you're headed, and that's not a pretty place. And I want, I want a a, a legacy for my grandchildren where I leave the place more abundant and more functional, more flourishing than it was given to me. And that's a, that's a wonderful, um, if, if that is not a mission that can attract and magnetize millennials and young people, I don't know what, I don't know what other mission, uh, could possibly be more, um, whatever, more, you know, more, more, we're back to your, the original, but fuck those people, you. Joel, yeah. fuck those people. You have kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. How many kids do you have? Yeah. So we, we have two. We have a son and a daughter. And Daniel, our son, is uh, he'll be forty one here in a couple months. And he, um, yeah, he actually runs the farm. He he run he runs the farm so I can run around. So we and you we have, have grandkids too. Yes, we do. We have uh, three of those: uh, 18, 16, and fourteen. Wow. And, and, and my my mom my mom is ninety eight. And so wow. here here on the farm we have four we have four generations uh, right now here living on the farm. So, so I, I don't mean this in any, with any disrespect. I mean this with no disrespect, but fuck the young people go out and party, have fun, enjoy yourself. The people who should be doing this shit is people like fucking Bill Gates. Yeah. Zuckerberg. Like, oh. like take your fucking, like, yeah. I, you don't have to give it away. You can right. still be rich as fuck. I'm all for you being rich. Yes. Yeah. Put these let give these millennials jobs to rehydrate the land so that they can go out and smoke weed and bang chicks on the weekend. But let's make the let's give them jobs to rehydrate the land. Exactly. Oh, and, and instead of yeah. these cockamamie ideas of like um uh, uh trying to get rid of uh, uh reinvent the mosquito or or yeah. or, or genetically yeah. modify meat or like get out like why can't you just um why can't you just reinvest in what's already here? The earth was, is working. Is It's a perfect fucking mechanism. Yeah. It spins every 24 hours. It goes around this yeah. big ball of light that's just hammering it with love 365 days a year and forever. 
Yeah. I, I just don't get why those are the guys. It's the old guys like me and you who should be concerned about our grandkids. Yes, exactly. And, and, uh, I, I just mentioned two things on that point. Um, one, one is that there is not a single problem on the planet that isn't being solved due to lack of money. Uh, there, there is plenty of money in the, in the system, plenty of money in the, uh, to, to solve any problem. Money is not the weak link. Okay. Um, and that's number one. Number two is as far as, you know, uh, uh, Bill Gates and, and this whole art, artificial, artificial food, uh, uh, development. There, there are few endeavors that are as, as, um, elitist and undemo- anti-democratic as, as lab grown food. You know, uh, if, if I, as long as the sun shines and I have a blade of grass, I can grow a cow, I can grow a chicken, I can grow a tomato. Um, you know, that is all accessible to me. But as soon as my food comes from a lab and it's artificially manufactured, suddenly I can't do that in my backyard. I can't do that in my kitchen. In fact, I can't even make high fructose corn syrup in my kitchen, let alone monosodium glutamate. And all the other, you know, phenoxyhydra, whatever, you know, unpronounceables are on labels of food. And so the entire uh, uh, techno sophisticated um, unpronounceable lexicon that's in our food has been a, a, just a gradual, a gradual march away from personal access and, and independence. And it, it has been a, a centralization and a, um, uh, a, a a reduction in access, in in individual access to sustenance. If sustenance has to come out of red dye twenty nine and and uh, a bunch of preservatives and hormones and chemicals and pharmaceuticals and I mean look look at look at the whole uh, the whole terror now over you know Russia and Ukraine. Uh, we can't get fertilizer. We can't get wheat. You know what's cool? The, the greatest thing about our farm is. We don't buy any of it. You know, um, if, if there's not a bag of fertilizer produced on the planet, it doesn't affect us one little bit and, and because we're running on solar energy through compost and, and decomposable biomass. That's mm. our carbon. That's, a, that's, that's an authentic carbon economy. It's not some cap and trade deal. It's not. No, it's an authentic carbon economy. And if we actually took all of the biomass that's currently burning, especially out west, and we took that biomass and ran it through chippers and ran it for composting, we could completely disconnect the entire chemical fertilizer industry and instead create stewarded forestal productive bio, uh, uh, forestal ecosystems that um, – you know that that were that were not as prone to fire that had more diversity and we would employ thousands and thousands of of people looking for sacred you know uh, a mission oriented work that that they could come home and little son or daughter says well you know mommy daddy what did you do today and they get to say well we massaged our ecological womb so that you will have a better planet to live in than we've had if that's not a righteous vocation, I don't know what is. When you when you when you say um, uh, the burning the burning of what did you say? You, basically, you said out west the burning of. Well, all I mean, right now we're 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 spending what is it? Almost five billion with a B billion dollars a year 
uh, fighting fires uh, out west. Oh right, okay. I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking about west of the Mississippi. Okay, okay, and, okay, and, okay. And 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 those those fires are largely the result of a of an of a, of an ecological abandonment mentality. Mm. Okay, okay. Um, mean, do you, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna sh- shift here because I'm gonna abandon you in three minutes. I'm gonna be like, <laughs> you know what, Joel? <laughs> you know what? Um, uh, do you play musical instrument, Joel? Uh, in high school and college, I played a trumpet, but um, I, I can't, uh, I can't do it anymore because I, I had a, I had a logging accident. You know, they say there are old loggers and bold loggers, but uh-huh. no, I old, didn't know that. Old, no, I didn't know that. I live in California, but go old, on. Old, old, old bold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, no old bold loggers. I had a tree hit me in the, hit me in the mouth, and oh. I have, I have some, uh, I have some leftover uh, gristle in my where they sewed my sewed my lip back together. And, um, because of that, I can't play my trumpet anymore, but I, you know, I, I grew up playing the piano and, um, and, and trumpet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and did your parents stay together until they, um, until they, uh, until your dad passed away? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and are, and are you still with your wife? I sure am. We're 40, 42 years, August 9th. When you, when you think of all the, the achievements you've had and all the passions you've had, um, wh- where does that fall, your um, relationship with your wife in terms of like when you reflect on it, how, where do you put it on the trophy case? Well, it's the best decision I ever made because I married a lady who was uh, more frugal than I. <laughs> and, 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 and so, so uh, you know, we, for us, um, you know, we, look, it hasn't always been roses. Uh, no, no intimate relationship at this level is is um, perfect. But we've we've never even mentioned the idea of separation has never even entered our mind. It's not an option. You have to punch through. You have to work through it. Other, otherwise, you just take your problems to your next relationship. You never work through them, and you just and, and they just compound. And so, um, and so, I hear you. I hear you. And I'm a sober man, like you are sober. By that I mean, my, I, I don't have a polluted brain. I have a hundred fruit trees in the backyard. I dug every hole. Yeah. I walk around barefoot yeah. every day. I love my kids. Yeah. Um. But but it. But what about? But I'm not. You say punch through, and I want to say that to everyone too. That was that's a beautiful thing. Just push through. My the greatest achievement of my life is my relationship with my wife, and the legacy I will leave for this planet is my kids. But, um. What about these people who are like they're they're crazy? They're sick. They're, they they live off of um you know milkshakes, their Tesla, and no dig on Teslas, but milkshakes, <laughs> Teslas, and then spending time working at the at the spaceship up here in Silicon Valley, the Apple thing, sitting all day, and their brains are like. And I, I, this isn't to dig at any of these things as as a as a small piece, but their brains are polluted with their the news and porn and text messages and social media. And it's like, it's just like, can those people punch through? Who, um, what a, what a, what a, <laughs> do, do you know what I mean by that? Like, I, 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 like, I, I, can I get yeah. healthy meat from a sick cow? Like, can I get, can I stay with this person if we're both just. Yeah. Fucked yeah, up. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I, I mean the, 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 the quick, the quick answer, uh, and I'm not a psychiatrist, but the, the, the quick answer I think is yes, but you, but you have to work at it. So you yeah. have to, you have to work. Here's, I would say that you have to work at disentangling, um, pe- people that are entangled in this, in the 
whatever it is, you know, the, the wokeness, the, um, the professionally the, offended. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and not, and, and just the consumer, the consumer goods industry. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I did a, I, I did a little thing one time uh, where, where I said, what, what if the world spent money like I do? And there would be entire swaths of, of, you know, of, of things that would not exist. Um, and, and, and I mean, because you're, you're frugal and like, and the airbag would have never been developed because you n- enough cars wouldn't have been purchased to develop the airbag. If everyone was like uh frugal, like Joel, is that what you mean? <laughs> no, I, I don't mean that. I think the airbag would have been developed because, oh, okay. I, because I, I, think, <laughs> I, I, I think the air, I mean, that airbag is a perfect example of something that's, that has uh, market value. I, I want to protect, you know, my family, my kids. And so I'm going to okay. buy a, buy a car with an airbag. Uh, what I would say would not exist are perhaps, um, you know, Las Vegas. Uh, certainly we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have a soft drink industry. Coca-Cola wouldn't exist. And, and I, and, and look, I, I'm not saying that they're, they're, they're going to hell, you know, or they're what I, I'm just saying when you sit down and say, what does a what does a flourishing, uh, vibrant, better world look like? Um, yeah, I, I I think it would look better without a Playboy magazine. I, I think it would look better without um, you know a, a lot of the things that we uh, that, that that we do to to tit- titillate our lives because we don't have enough meaning um, under our fingernails. And, and by that, I mean like dirt under our fingernails. We, you know, the, the, listen, the average American male right now between 25 and 35 years old, the average American male between 25 and 35 spends 20 hours a week playing video games. Wow. I, I, wow. All right. So I, so just for the record, I've never touched a video game. I've never, I've never touched a video game. I don't mean not playing. I mean, I haven't even touched one. And, 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 and partly it's because I, I think, I think I have more important things to do. Right. Literally. There there are more important things to do. I'd rather read, I'd rather read a book by Seth Godin on, on how to improve my life. Or, or Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, Dale Carnegie, you know, Win Friends and Influence. I'd rather read something like that than fritter away my time blowing away, blowing away icons on a fantasy screen. And so I, I think that I think that we, that what we lack, um, what we lack is is deep soul, meaningful, meaningful legacy based mission in our lives and 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 the more the more you work in a fantasy world the more you work in a fantasy world the more the more you have to work at not being co-opted by that world for so so me i have to work at not not um embracing celebrity culture and consumerism and, and having a bigger house and a better car and a big, I'm a minimalist. I'm a minimalist. I mean, Teresa and I still, you know, we don't, we don't buy, we don't, we don't buy new cars. We, you know, uh, we've sometimes talked about what if, what if we ever really got wealthy, what would change? And I'd like to think, you know, we would still be the same thing. Maybe we, we give a lot more money away. 
I love giving money away to, you know, charitable groups and charitable causes and, and, and my, my own team members. I mean, we've got, we've got, we've got 25 of us earn a living here from the farm. Um, some of them make more money than I do. Um, and, and I, I get great joy out of that. Um, uh, you know, CEOs, why should any CEO get more than uh, whatever, 10 or 25 times the other, the lowest paid employee in the place? Who needs, who needs $10 million a year? Who needs $8 million a year? Um, and I'm not saying that getting that money is wrong. And I don't want a law and I don't want taxes to redistribute it. I'm just saying I'm appealing. I'm appealing to personal integrity and, and the humanity of it all. And oh, I'm glad you clarified that, by the way. Yeah, we were, yeah. we were meaning I was about to, we mean you were about to. No, 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 absolutely not. No, absolutely not. I, I, I am totally, uh, totally into, you know, you do whatever, we, but, but I, but I do think, uh, that if you're, I think this, I think that if some of these CEOs that get $10 million a year, I think if some of them took a million on principle, and gave it to some of their team members and 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 on on personal personal recognizance okay said i'm going to do this you do you know how much their team would love them how much they would be loyal to them um they 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 wouldn't be looking at the clock every day they would say man this is the greatest this is the greatest germination tray for ideas innovation and mission that i've ever been in um that, that's where I am. And, and, and so, so no, I don't want any of this to be governmental, arbitrary tax. No, I, I, Isn't this amazing to hear you talk like that? Some people think that it's so crazy. The, the misunderstanding of libertarians, you're like yeah. one of the most generous people in, in thought that I've, that I've, that I've ever met. And, um, I yeah. personally like to spend all my own money. I like to tip the kid at Starbucks yes. um, ten dollars when he smiles and thanks thanks me. I I'm a huge. I want to spend money when my gardeners are, are mowing yeah. my lawn at, right. uh, on Christmas Eve. I want to go out there and, and give them each a hundred bucks and, and like yeah. I want to spend my money. And when you take my money from me, I just don't. I just yeah. I, it, it goes to government. That, that that's right. And 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 look at how the government spends it. And yeah. so, I mean, in, in, well, they yeah. feed seagulls going back to the beginning of the show. They feed seagulls <laughs> over restaurants. That's what they do. They destroy. Yeah. They destroy. Yeah. 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 In, 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 in the better world, I think would be to, you know, uh, uh, drop the federal government by about 90% in size, uh, re remand almost everything the federal government does back to the states. And then we can have, and we're going political now, but, but th then, then we can have the 50 state experiment. You know, what if state says, um, what if state says we think education should be a complete function of the government and another state says, no, we think uh, education should be a function of the parents. Well, then you could have two side-by-side -side examples and people could look at the one state that says it's a government option or a government responsibility. And the other one says it's a parental responsibility. And, and pretty soon in, you know, five to 10 years, you start seeing the, the outcome of those two different uh, policies. The problem, the, the reason the country is so bifurcated right now is because we have arrogated to the federal level all of these things that were supposed to be done experimentally at the state level with a lot of variety and diversity and 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 uh, experimentation at the state level and and uh, and now it's all being administered through the federal so it's a it's a winner take all it's a it's a one size fits all and so the the um, the 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 risk and the uh, the need to win um, the game. The game is so much bigger now 
than a game in your state. Um, and, and so anyway, I, I didn't mean to get all down on that. No, thing. no, no, no. This is my, this is, this is, I love this. I, love this. I, I mean, these, these, these folks that say they want diversity, um, they don't really want diversity. If no. they did, if they did, they, they would embrace one state. Um, I go back to the education, one state having a, a, you know, and maybe a third state says, well, we think, we think the government should be responsible for it, but so we're going to, we're going to collect taxes for it. But what we're going to do is we're going to give every parent with a school aged child a voucher to spend into the private sector, wherever they want. To. Of course. And, of course. And, 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 and so, you know, if you want to go to the atheist school, you go to the atheist school. If you want to go to the Muslim school, you go to the Muslim school, the Christian, you know, if you want to go to a military school, you go to mil- and, and, and what happens then as you come into adulthood, you have this, this, this wonderful, uh, eclectic, um, eclectic, um, uh, you know, mix, mix of people with different experiences that bring a, a different set of ideas. And instead and, of the mass indoctrination that our school system is exactly, now. exactly, exactly. Joel, um, I hope that, um, over the next week, people um, bomb you everywhere you go, and they say, oh, my God, we saw you on the Sevon podcast, and you were so amazing. And it stimulates your ego and makes you so prideful that you're the next time I ask you to come back on, <laughs> you come uh, back on. Because I have five pages of notes, and I didn't get to jack. But you know what I have to do? I'm going to take my boys to the skate park. Uh, um, cool. I, I was. I, I have to tell you, I, there, there's a few guests now and again that, that – um, that, that basically the a normal a normal guest I have two pages of notes and the more pages I have I tell my listeners this all the time the more that's not that's not a good sign that means I'm scared of the guest and with you I have I had, I had six pages that's terrified of you I don't know why uh, no you 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 are delightful just so delightful well thank and, you you're a beautiful human being I really enjoyed uh, uh, hanging with you well uh, same here and uh, yeah I do I do a lot of these and. Um, tell me, tell me, tell me. And, and, and you're just the best. Um, you know, so, some people do these cause they just want to hear themselves talk. Yeah, that's have, me. And, and you have this, no, no, it's not. <laughs> you, you have this perfect balance. You have this perfect thing where you tease out. Um, you know, I've never had somebody, you know, drill down into that whole Venezuela, the, the, the politics of it and the, the, the evolution of it. And so thank you for that. I, I don't oh. get that very often. And, and it's such a, it, it, it's every time I, I get asked to drill down into that story, which is not very often. Um, I, I'm just, I always finish it real realizing with a new sense of gratitude of what an unusual, uh, uh, unusual background I had uh, to be, to be not as old, you know, any more older than I am 65. So to be that young and have had that kind of foreign uh, political grassroots, you know, scrounging up entrepreneurial, all those things struck together uh, with this background. I'm just so, I'm just so grateful that um, I can't stand it. And thank, thank you for, thank you for teasing that out. That's, that's oh, I, I was so great. excited to hear about it too. Um, and that was Teresa who, who helped us get the show started. No, that was Wendy, my personal oh. assistant. She's oh. she's our no. Um, Tell Wendy, thank you. <laughs> we 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 call we call her my work wife. Um, All right. You know, Tell you, the work you, wife, thank you. You got your work wife, and you got your real wife. And uh, Wendy's my little my my. Uh, yeah, she she handles all that stuff. She's real sharp. 
All right, brother. Um, I will um, give you um, some time um, to hear how um, great you were on the podcast, and then I will uh, reach out to you again, and we will dig into some of the stuff. I, I, w- I want to do an entire show on you talking my wife into letting me get chickens. I have a uh, oh, okay. I have a half acre here. I have my own well. Uh-huh. I have the smallest plot of land around me. Everyone around me has one acre to a hundred acres. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm sitting on the coast here at California, and, and, and my wife knows that she's going to have to take care of them. I'm not going to do shit, but but we need to do a show where we talk her into it. Okay, that sounds like a great. That's a, like a great challenge. You've you've thrown the gauntlet down. Let's uh let let let's go there. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you, Joel Salatin. Thank you for your time, brother. Thank you. And uh, and we'll chat soon. Yeah. Great.